Boy, that's a savage blow, isn't it? That passage. <laughs> uh, a world of iniquity sets on fire the whole course of life, set on fire by hell itself. Uh, the human tongue. Um, maybe you've experienced that. Maybe you've been on the receiving end of that, and you can <laughs> attest to the fact uh, that the human tongue can be extremely destructive. Uh, maybe you've been uh, caused pain uh, by another person's words. Um, maybe you have also been caused pain by your own words and realizing uh, how you have hurt others. Um, we are actually only going to spend a little bit of time in that passage. Um, we wanted to introduce the, uh, the subject of the human tongue and the and sins of the tongue. Um, but then we're going to move uh, from there to talk specifically about one sin, uh, namely gossip. Um, now, if, you're, uh, if you've been here a while, um, you will know that this is a, uh, a thing that we don't do very much. We don't um, kind of address particular sins very often and do a whole sermon on a subject like that. Um, most of the time, what we do is, what I prefer to do, is we preach through a book. Um, and uh, we kind of go take it chunk by chunk, um, as, as is appropriate. We say, what does this part of the book mean? What is this, what's the whole story that's being told? What's the whole argument that's being made? And how does this sentence, and how does this little passage, how does this paragraph fit into it? And what does it mean? And, and how do we see Jesus through it? And that's the basic approach. Um, so we're doing this a little bit different. And, and if you've been here a while and you're noticing that, then you might be thinking, why? Uh, and you might be thinking, are, are, you know, are we concerned that we have some uh, you know, gossip epidemic in the church that we're um, needing to address? And the answer to that, I want to say very quickly, is no. Um, we're not doing this because um, we consider that uh, our church is rife with gossip or something. Um, uh, however, uh, we have been d- discussing for a while now uh, among the pastoral staff and other leaders that it's kind of always on the edge. Um, that, there, that gossip is such a tempting sin, and it's not particular to us. We're doing, actually, I want to say, I think in general we're doing pretty well. Um, as churches go, we don't have a lot of gossip going on, at least not that I'm aware of. Um, and when I have been aware of gossip, and when Logan has been aware of gossip, it has been because someone has said to one of us or to uh, someone else who's in leadership, hey, whoa, I just heard this about so-and-so, is I don't and I don't know what to do with the information that I just received, and then we're able to and we have been able to respond and go. Actually, man, that's probably not even true. And thank you very much for bringing this to our attention, and we want to address it. Um, so that's basically that's how it's gone on the couple of occasions where there has been gossip. Um, nevertheless, it is such a tempting sin, and there is it's so easy to be confused about what it is and what it is not um, that we thought it would be. Uh, beneficial as we we finished Ephesians last week. We're starting our our vision and value series next week. We had this blank week. Um, And so we thought, well, maybe this would be a good opportunity to address this this sin that is so tempting, so pervasive all over the world, um, and and the church is no exception. Uh, So that we can all have a clear understanding of what uh, gossip is and, and part of what we are vowing and what we have vowed when we became members of the church, that we would study the purity and peace of the church. And resisting gossip uh, is one of the ways in which we are uh, uh, obligated uh, to study the purity and peace of the church. So 
what I'd like to do is I want to talk about this passage in James, talk about what he's saying about the human tongue and why it's so dangerous. And then I want to uh, talk specifically about gossip. I want to talk about uh, why gossip is so tempting, what is so attractive about it. Um, and then I want to talk about uh, what it is defined as. Um, part of, I think, there are cultural confusion. Maybe this is confusing. I think people generally agree uh, that gossip is bad. But then they never think that they're doing it when they're doing it. Um, so we want to talk about what it is according to the Bible. It's one of those sins where if someone does it about you, you know. Uh, and you know that that was not cool. Uh, but then when you're doing it about other people, you think you had a good reason. Um, and so we're going to talk about what gossip is, you know, according to some particular passages in Scripture, and what it is not, um, when it is appropriate uh, to speak and when it's not. Um, and then um, we're going to talk about how can we get control of it. Because um, let's be honest, James's vision here of, uh, of the human tongue is not positive. Um, so how do we get control of our mouths? And how do we stop ourselves, arrest ourselves from committing all kinds of sins of the mouth, particularly this one? Okay. So that's the plan. Uh, we'll talk about uh, why the tongue is so dangerous, why words are so dangerous. We'll talk about uh, what gossip is and what it is not. And we'll talk about uh, what the Bible says about how we can get a hold of it. Okay. Uh, so let's look at this again. Uh, James says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for... Uh, you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And honestly, with gossip, this is, this is, a, a, this is particularly true. Um, people who are in leadership in the church, people who are teachers in the church, get access to all kinds of information. Um, and we have to be particularly guarded uh, about not, <laughs> not talking about it. Um, and if we do, the consequences are far more devastating. Um, so pray for us. Pray for us that we would have wisdom. Um, pray for us uh, that we would um, know how best to help people uh, who are in need and who we are, are called to help um, without uh, betraying them um, and without uh, committing the sin against them. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man and able also to bridle his whole body. Two things I want to comment about that verse. One, where it says a perfect man, a perfect person. Um, uh, this does not mean that a person uh, who does not uh, commit sin with their mouth um, has, ach uh, has achieved, you know, uh, perfection as we tend to conceive of it, that this person has become a sinless person and no longer in need of God's grace. Um, the biblical word there, the Greek word uh, for perfect, and if you go back in time in English a few hundred years, perfect didn't mean without flaw. Uh, perfect didn't mean without problem. Perfect meant completed, mature. So uh, you could say that my body is perfect. Because it has reached maturity. <laughs> Not because I am the prime specimen uh, of human existence. Um, my body is perfect in that it has reached maturity. So when he's saying that a, a, a person who does not sin with their tongue, uh, you could say that that person has reached full maturity. Uh, 
And the other thing I want to say about this is that I want to hone in on this word bridle. Uh, this is a, a metaphor that he's going to start to use. Uh, uh, he's actually used it before back in chapter 1, and he uses it again in the next verse about bridling uh, the mouths of horses. Um, it's a really uh, powerful image about controlling your mouth, bridling it. Um, we don't have access to a lot of animals in our day-to-day uh, -day lives anymore. Um, we don't need to ride horses to get around. Uh, but if you've ever done it... Um, you know that a horse is a very, very powerful creature. Um, we, uh, we had horses when I was a kid. Uh, we grew up in, I grew up in, way out in the country, and, and uh, you just, people had horses. We had horses. Um, they were uh, just massive. Uh, if you ever see one running, or even just standing, and the, the way that their muscles a bulge and ripple is just, if you look at them and think about it, they are so strong and so powerful. Um, I, uh, in fact, when I was three years old, my, uh, I had a rocking horse. My best friend Bethany was over, and we asked my mom if we could ride the horse, and she said, absolutely. And so we went in the, in the tack closet and got a bridle and went out to the pasture, and, and a neighbor told my mom that we were in the pasture. That was a very extremely dangerous place, so she thought we were talking about the rocking horse. So go ahead, but we were talking about the big horses, and we went to get one. What a dangerous place for a three-year-old to be. Uh, and I thought I had permission. But it's, it, they are very, very dangerous creatures. Those hooves are hard. They weigh thousands of pounds. Um, they'd kill you. Uh, they'd seriously injure you by kicking you. They're very strong uh, and dangerous. But a bridled horse um, is incredibly useful. A tamed horse uh, is incredibly useful. Before we had vehicles, that was how you, you, had, like, you had to get around. If you were, you were going to walk or you were going to ride a horse, and riding a horse would multiply your speed by, by double at least. And if you're pushing the horse hard, a lot more. Uh, a bridled horse, very powerful. An unbridled horse, very dangerous. That's an interesting image about the mouth, about your tongue, about your words. Unbridled, very dangerous. Bridled, very powerful, very constructive. The other metaphor he uses in here is fire. And again, we don't think about fire a lot in our context, in our, in our day and age, and we have lots of, we have, uh, you know, fireproof insulation, and like, when was the last time you heard of somebody's house burning down? It's like, never. Like, we've gotten really good at it. Um, but it used to happen a lot. Um, we needed fire. We needed it to cook. We needed it to keep warm. We needed it to survive. Um, but if it got away from you, it could destroy your home and your life and kill you. Um, the tongue is a, a fire, he says, a world of iniquity, a world of unrighteousness. Sets on fire the entire course of life and is set on fire by hell. Um, so again, a, an image of a very powerful force, either properly contained or improperly contained. Properly contained, very constructive. Improperly contained, extremely dangerous. And that's his major point about words. And I think you've, you've probably experienced that too. You've probably experienced the power, the constructive power uh, of a person. There's a, a proverb that says, a word fitly spoken, how sweet it is, 
that a person says the right thing to you at the right time, where a person speaks up on your behalf when you're feeling downtrodden, when you're feeling taken advantage of, and someone else comes in and speaks a fit word on your behalf uh, and suddenly puts things right for you. How powerful that is, how constructive that is. Um, but again, without proper containment, um, so destructive. You know, proper containment, that's the ticket, right? Bridling, that's the ticket. Um, it's not no talking. It's not no fire. It's not no horses. It's tame horses rather than wild horses. Contained fire rather than wild fire. A contained fire, a bridled horse, very powerful, very useful, very necessary to life, unbridled, uncontained, extremely dangerous. Right? Proper containment is the difference between uh, a nuclear warhead and a, uh, you know, a nuclear reactor. So that's what he's urging us toward. He's urging us toward not that our mouths are useless and not that we should avoid words entirely, but that we should learn proper containment of our words uh, so that um, we can all benefit from the proper power of them. So words are powerful. They can be uh, either a power of destruction or a power of construction. They can be a destructive power or a constructive power. Okay. So let's, uh, let's talk about gossip for a second. And I think that it's, it's very easy, on the one hand, to think that gossip is a relatively harmless vice. Um, eh, you know, is it gossip or is it shooting the breeze? You know, maybe it depends who, who, who's talking. If you're talking, it's shooting the breeze. If someone else is talking, it's gossip. <laughs> um, if you're talking, it's, it's we're just processing the information and trying to figure out things. But if someone else is talking, it's gossip. Uh, but it's not so harmless. It's actually uh, a particularly destructive sin. Um, possibly because it is so seductive. But listen to this. In Romans chapter 1, um, when Paul is describing um, what he calls all manner of unrighteousness, he's making kind of this list of like the worst of the worst to demonstrate his point uh, that people are bad. In Romans chapter 1, he's making this big point. People are bad. People are kind of terrible. And so he has this list of all, what he calls all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, and malice. He says... People are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. How did gossip slip in there? Among with ruthless, faithless, heartless, murder, deceit, malice, haters of God? Gossips. Why is gossiping in this list? Isn't it harmless? Isn't it even sometimes... I actually read an article this week uh, by a, a, a moral philosopher, I think it was UC Berkeley, uh, who was, who was you know, writing a paper saying that, hey, actually, maybe gossip is beneficial. Here are the social benefits of gossip. I have a, you know, if, if people are gossiping together, it, it helps unite them. It helps bind them together as a social unit. It helps them to understand why uh, this boss got fired and that boss got promoted, even though this one seemed competent and that one seemed incompetent. It helps people uh, understand the world better. He's, he's defending it. He's saying that it's... A, and isn't it? Um, 
But here's where it fits. So here's why it's in this list. And here's where it fits in the sh moral shape of the universe. And it's the ninth commandment. Um, God says, thou shalt uh, not bear false witness against your neighbor. All right. Um, and in our, particularly in the Reformed tradition, we understand that command as covering far more than simply lying. Uh, that there are several components of it. One of them is the falseness of the witness. The other thing is against thy neighbor. Um, and the effect that that has upon someone's reputation. That when we talk about people in a way that damages their reputation, we are taking something from them that they cannot get back. Uh, we are taking something from them that, you know, well, maybe, oh, sure, maybe it's binding us together as a social unit, but we are slicing that other person out and leaving them bereft and homeless and alone, leaving them out in the cold in a way that they maybe cannot come back from. Uh, God is commanding us to be, uh, not just resist the temptation to harm other people's reputations, but to be proactive in guarding other people's reputations. So gossip is far more destructive than you might realize. Um, and the final point that James seems to be making here, he says, he says every kind of beast and a a uh, serpent and a bird is tamed and has been tamed by humankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Uh, we can tame fire. We can tame animals. We can bridle horses. But no one has yet been able to control their tongue. I think that that makes me think about, as I was reflecting on it, was... Um, Remember the, the BP oil spill uh, in the Gulf of Mexico a few years ago? And um, I remember seeing a clip on YouTube of Jon Stewart from The Daily Show making fun of the attempts and the, really the lame uh, and, and hapless attempts to contain this oil spill and how they were trying to cap the leak and, uh, under the water. And, he, and to demonstrate the incompetence, he takes a... He takes a bottle of Coca-Cola, takes the lid off, and I think what he did was he dropped uh, two tablets of Alka-Seltzer into this full, fresh bottle of Coca-Cola. You can picture what happened. It shot into the air. This foam just <laughs> gushing out. And he kind of like, and then he, like, he takes this like, fishing pole with a cap on it, and he tries to, oh, and put it on there like after it had all died down. Uh, like, that, like, that's what it's like trying to control our mouths. No human being has been able to do it yet. It just gushes out, and then you're going to go, oh, no, let me put the cap on this now. Uh, it's pretty, it's dangerous, uh, and no one has been able to do it yet. Um, so now let's, let, let's pivot then. It's a little bit of a, an awkward step here, but let's pivot and let's talk about gossip in particular. That's, that's the danger of the tongue, but gossip in particular. Why is it tempting? Why do we like it so much? I, I, there are, I think, several reasons. One is a fairly benign, and that is that uh, the way that human beings process the world generally, and this has been documented by scholars and philosophers and psychologists, that the way that we process the world, the way that we make sense of the world, 
is not primarily by doing things like math uh, and doing science. Science may be actually fairly counterintuitive to the way that we process the world. It's very powerful, but it's maybe counterintuitive for us. The intuitive way that we process the world is by telling stories and interpreting them. If you, they've analyzed hours of people's conversations and listened to the way that they talk in, in, uh, in all kinds of contexts, uh, hours of tapes of toddlers even, uh, who are just learning to talk, and preschoolers who are just learning to process, and what they do, and what they do is they repeat things as stories and then say what they meant. Um, this happened, this is what it means, and then this happened, and this is what it means. That's what we do. Um, that's how we, like, you know, you start paying attention to your own conversations and you'll notice this happening a lot. And so the temptation to gossip, part of it, is that that's what we're doing. So, like, let's say that, you know, uh, you have a boss and another boss and one of them gets a promotion, one of them gets fired, and you want to know why. The way that you naturally want to process that is to look at the facts of the story and then interpret them. And that's what you do. Um, and, and the, that impulse is fairly benign. You want to make sense of the world. You want to understand how it works. Um, and so you have to uh, tell the story and interpret it. Um, however, uh, there are other things that make it seductive. One is uh, it demonstrates social power. That if you can be the person who has the info and tells it to someone who doesn't have it, your social value uh, has just gone up considerably. Again, because we need to do that kind of thing in order to understand the world. So if you're the person who's able to provide that, people need you more. Your social power is increased. Um, Proverbs 18.8, a uh, really very picturesque uh, proverb, says this. The words of a whisperer, or of a gossip, the words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels that go down into the inner parts of the body. Mmm, delicious morsels. You hear somebody start to talk about something like that, and something inside you goes, I like to understand. I like to be able to. I like to be able to think about uh, other people and how much better I am than they are. And I like to think about the mistakes that then I wouldn't have done it that way. And if I ever encountered that, I'll know better. Um, and I'm so. I'm very superior. This is this is so de mm, delicious morsels. And they go down into the inner parts of the body. It says they stay with you. The same way that the food that you eat stays with you. You know, that you eat candy and you're uh, going to be less healthy. You eat a lot of candy and you'll be way less healthy. It's th the stuff that you eat stays with you. And the stuff that you hear, you can't unhear it. And part, so part of the sin of gossip is that you are doing that to another person. You are tempting them in that way. And part of the sin of gossip is in listening to it. Of sticking around and, oh, tell me more about that. Another thing that makes gossip tempting, and this is maybe the most sinister of them all, is retaliation. One of the reasons that people gossip uh, is to retaliate against people who have harmed them. Um, 
And you have probably heard this. You may have done it. Um, you have certainly been tempted to do it. You have an argument and a, a, a conflict with a person that you know, a coworker, one of your brothers and sisters. You know, probably, I had uh, five brothers and sisters, and so we probably did this a lot. Um, you know, if one of us had an argument with a uh, fight, quarrel with one of our brothers and sisters, find another one before he, can, before he or she can get there and tell them, this is what, so, this is what you know, my brother did, this is what my sister did, and isn't it terrible? And, and start to gang up together about, yeah, yeah, she is terrible. I hate that. Yeah, she's always doing that. And you kind of build this coalition uh, of, of anger. Uh, you're trying to punish the person who hurt you by ruining his or her reputation. Proverbs 11, verse 9 says, With his mouth, the godless man would, that is, desires to destroy his neighbor. A godless person desires to destroy their neighbor with their mouth. And you can do it. You can destroy someone with your mouth. But by knowledge, the righteous are delivered. Proverbs 16, 28 says, A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer, that is a gossip, separates close friends. Cuts them apart. You can use gossip like a knife to come between even close friends. You have two friends, they're close to each other, you have a conflict with one of them, you go to that other one and start telling them. Start getting them on your side. Start trying to cut them apart. Um, the best example of this, I think, in, in all of literature is, of course, Iago in uh, Othello. Thanks, oh, that fell right out of my head. Uh, Iago in Othello is like looking at Ruthie, like, Ruthie, help me. Uh, Iago in Othello. If you're not familiar with that story, uh, Othello is a, uh, a well-reputed, uh, uh, honorable man, soldier, general. Um, he is married uh, to Desdemona. Uh, they're you know, very happily married, love each other. Iago uh, is a dirtbag and hates Othello. And so he decides the way he's going to destroy Othello is by deceiving him uh, that Desdemona, his wife, has been unfaithful to him. And he knows that, that Othello has a bad temper. And if he can make Othello mad at Desdemona, who knows what he can get him to do, um, how he can hurt him. Um, and so Iago hatches this elaborate plot, um, a good deal of which is gossip, ruining Desdemona's reputation. Um, you know, and Iago is able to slice even this man away from his wife. Um, Whoever, Proverbs 17.9, whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Proverbs 41, Psalm 41.7, all who hate me whisper about me together. They imagine the worst of me. Right, this is a, a weapon. It's weaponized gossip. So what is it? What is gossip? What is it not? Uh, as I've thought about it and tried to 
to kind of come up with a definition that catches everything that I think uh, gossip encompasses in the scriptures. Gossip is this. Gossip is talking about someone who is not present in any way that you wouldn't talk about them if they were present. Any way, that anything that you would not say if somebody was there and you say it, that's gossip. Does that make sense? Talking about a person in any fashion that you wouldn't talk about them if they were there when they're not there, that's gossip. So gossip's not the same thing as slander. Slander is telling lies about someone. Slander is only one kind of gossip. Truth can be gossip too. If, you would, if you're telling a truth that you would not tell if that person were present, that's gossip. Uh, gossip is not the same thing as repeating unfounded rumors. That's the way that we tend to use it maybe the most often in our, in our culture, is that if it's a rumor and it's not confirmed, then it's gossip. But that's only one kind of gossip. Unfounded rumors is just certainly a thing that you would not say about somebody if they were there, but that's only one kind of thing that you wouldn't say if they weren't there. Gossip is not the same thing as just saying negative things about someone's back either, behind someone's back, right? You can say positive things behind someone's back, and if it's just not your story, that's still gossip. I did that uh, some time ago, and I had to, I actually, I had to make a phone call about it, because I was, I was talking with, with person A and person B. I'm talking with person A, and I'm just talking about person B, initially in a way that was very positive. Um, and, and I would say in front of the person, I was complimenting person B. I was saying person B is very competent and they have accomplished a lot of things and here's something they've accomplished. And then here is some of the adversity, and this is where I veered into gossip. Here's some of the adversity that they have faced in their life, in their life um, that makes what they've accomplished even more impressive. Um, and I was planning to introduce these two people to each other. And then I realized as soon as I'd finished that conversation, I was like, you know, maybe person B would have preferred to be the one to tell that story. It's relatively harmless, right? Not a, not a lot of damage is done by that. But what would have happened if person B, person A meet, and then person B, they, they get to know each other, they start to trust each other, and then person B starts to say, you know, a while ago this happened to me, and person A is like, oh yeah, Chad told me all about that. It'd be embarrassing for everybody, uncomfortable. And I think that person B could have felt a little betrayed by that. Even though everything that I said was positive about them. It just wasn't my business. It wasn't my story. It was person B's story. And you have those stories. You have those stories about yourself that you want to be the one to tell. You want to be in control yourself of who has that information. So what I did was after I had the conversation with person E, I was like, person A, I, I called person B. I was like, hey, I, you know, you're going to meet person A, and oops, I'm sorry. I told them some of your story. Here's what I, here's what I told them, just so you know. And the person A, B was like, yeah, that's fine. It's okay. And that was fine. But it was gossip. If I hadn't done that, if I hadn't taken that follow-up step, that would have been gossip. And I have probably done that hundreds of times without realizing it. You know, I thank God that I realized it that time. But that was still gossip. Right? That's still whispering. Right? That's the biblical word there. A whisperer. Whispering. It was still whispering. If person B had been standing there and I was talking to person A, I would not have dared to tell their story. Can you imagine? You know, think about 
you know, the worst adversity you've ever faced in your life, the, 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 the crappiest boss you've ever had, um, and what you learned and, grew, and how you grew from that and the mistakes that you made and, and the ways that, that you were challenged by it. And you imagine you're standing there next to me and I'm introducing you to somebody that you've never met before and I start to tell them that story. Like, wouldn't you feel weird? Wouldn't you feel uncomfortable? And I would have felt uncomfortable. I wouldn't do, I wouldn't do that. It would be too weird. Uh, but without the person there, I felt fine to do it. And that's the thing. It's... Gossiping is talking about somebody in any way, even a positive way, that you wouldn't do if they were there. If you are pregnant or you have gotten engaged and I'm standing there with you and somebody else that doesn't know that yet, shame on me if I tell them. And you're standing right there. If you want them to know that you're having a baby, you will tell them. Like That is why if you're having a baby, and I go around telling other people, so-and-so is having a baby, before you have told them, that's gossip. Because I wouldn't do that if you were there. I would let you tell them. And so, you know, just practically speaking, a way to avoid that is if someone tells you, we're having a baby, or we're getting married, or I got a new job, or I'm moving to Dallas. <laughs> your first question can just be, congratulations, is this public knowledge yet? And if they say, there's actually a lot of people I want to tell myself still. Then, zip it. <laughs> um, but if they say, oh yeah, I've told, I, yeah, everybody knows, it's fine. And then I can, you know, when I see you the next time, somebody else the next time in church, I can say, hey, did you hear the good news? They're having a baby. They're moving to Dallas. They got a new job, whatever it is. Um, not letting another person control their own story is also gossip. Even though it's positive information. It can still be gossip. Okay. So, here are some ex exceptions to this definition. There are some times when it is still okay. It is not gossip to talk about someone who's not there in a way that you wouldn't talk about them if they were there. There are some occasions where it is okay, and I want to acknowledge those. Numero uno. Safety. If somebody else would be put in danger by not having the information that you have, then it is okay to tell them. All right, we can, I probably don't need to parse that out a lot. I think we can think of examples of how that would be. Um, that you know something about somebody else and somebody else could be put in danger if they don't know that, look, they're going to... Uh, you know that somebody else is a, is a, has engaged in dirty business practices and a friend of yours is, is saying, oh, I'm going to go into business with so-and-so. Hmm. How do I put this? Um, you want to never stop caring about the other person's reputation, but you also never want to stop caring about the safety of this other person that you care about. And sometimes you've got to balance those things. Let's acknowledge that. Another exception is when you are seeking counsel or prayer for yourself from a carefully selected, mature, trustworthy person. Okay? This is, this is very dicey. Very, very easy to get this wrong. Very, very easy to think, I've been involved in this conflict I don't know what to do. I feel hurt. I feel betrayed. I need help. 
Let me ask all of the guys at the men's breakfast. <laughs> that would be gossip. Let me pull Logan aside sometime and talk with him. See the difference? Okay. And the scriptures tell us a lot about that too. The scriptures tell us um, whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is a trustworthy person in spirit keeps the thing covered. So you got to pay attention to other people and the way that they talk. If you hear someone that you know as a friend of yours telling you stories about other people, they will tell your story too. If they will gossip to you, they will gossip about you. And so what the scripture is admonishing to do is pay attention. Proverbs 20, 19. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with a simple babbler. Right? Don't tell the stories to a person who runs their mouth. And you know the person who runs their mouth because you hear them running their mouth. You've got to very, very carefully pick the person that you confide in. Sometimes you do need help. Sometimes you do need a confidant, but you've got to pick that person with extreme care. Another exception, uh, according to Matthew 18, when you are seeking a second witness, right? Remember Matthew 18. When Matthew 18, Jesus, in, in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus is telling us how to handle conflicts. He says, if your brother sins against you, or sister, sins against you, step one, Go and have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with that person. Um, there are times when that might not be safe. There are times when that might not be constructive. But most of the time, that's the thing to do. Go and have a one-on-one -on -one conversation. If that fails, there's no reconciliation. But, but if it succeeds, it says you have won your brother. And if that's what happens, that is the end of it. Yes? That's the end. You don't need to tell anybody else at that point. But if they don't hear you, there's no resolution, then go and, it's, Jesus actually tells you, go and tell somebody else and bring them with you. Um, wouldn't be gossip in that situation. Um, obviously, if you have the person's permission to tell the story, then that's fine too, of course. Um, prayer, and they've got to underscore this heavily, prayer is not an exception. Asking for prayer for the other person is not an exception. If you do something terrible to me, and then I go ask other people to pray for you, that's gossip. Here's what you can do instead. Here's what you can do instead. Hello. I have recently been involved in a conflict that I'm having trouble processing. Would you pray for me, pray for me, that I would be able to forgive the person, that I would be able to understand the person, and that God would heal our relationship? Or let's say it's not a conflict. Let's just say you know something terrible. Would you pray for me? There's, a, there's something that is weighing on my soul that I am praying about that I shouldn't share with you. But would you pray for me that I would be diligent and vigilant in prayer? Would you pray for me that I would be diligent in prayer and that God would hear my prayers? Right? Well-informed prayer is no more powerful than uh, poorly informed prayer. <laughs> we just learned this last week. God is able to do far abundantly above all that we can ask or even imagine. 
He doesn't need the info from us. Matthew 6 says, your father, the heavenly father, knows what you need before you even ask. You don't need to give God the info. What you need is to pray. Better info does not make better prayer. It's not necessary. You don't need to do it. Okay. Final exception I will say is this. There are instances where it is necessary for us as a body, as a church, to publicly address public sin. And when we do that, A, don't make that decision on your own. B, don't do it privately. Uh, and C, do it with the goal of restoration and repentance, not with damaging the reputation, and always with care for it, okay? John the Baptist calls out uh, Herod Antipas for his sin. Jesus calls out the Pharisees for their sin. He does it publicly, but he never says anything to those people privately that he does not say to them publicly to their faces. And he's the boss. And you're not. And so if you feel like this is necessary, the temptation to gossip is too strong. The admonitions against it are too strong. Don't make that decision alone. Make it in concert with the church. Okay. So that's it. How do we get control of our tongues? Right? How do we cap that well as it is gushing and exploding out? And the problem is this. This is what Jesus says. The reason this is so hard is Jesus says... It's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. Our, our, our hearts are gushing and exploding with malice and, and desire to hurt other people and desire to, be, to show our social power. And we do all of that stuff because it's in our hearts. So you're never going to cap that well. You're never going to screw a Coke lid onto a bottle of Coke that's exploding with Alka-Seltzer. You've got to get the Alka-Seltzer out somehow. And so how does that happen? Right? And that happens um, because the gospel says that God wants to give us a new heart. God wants to renew our hearts. Um, he wants to make us like Jesus. He wants to make us like Jesus who, when he was oppressed and he was afflicted, far, enduring far more than any of us ever have or ever will, he opened not his mouth. And he didn't do that just to show us that it could be done, because it can't be done by us. But when we know him, when we become connected with him through the gospel and through the table, he grows inside of us. We're going to eat this meal, we're going to drink this wine, and Jesus will grow inside of us. And that is how we, how we get changed. We pray, we ask him, the Bible says we seek mercy and find grace to help in time of need, and... Uh, we hear his word preached, and we receive him into ourselves um, and are transformed into his image. And so we're going to do that.